It's good to be here tonight. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, say amen. amen. Good, good, good. Dr. Brian Stowe is back with us tonight. Uh, he did have to shoot up two flares to find his way home last night. But I want you to know that I sent the Sheriff's Department out to uh, escort him across the county line, and he made it and uh, came back tonight, um, and I'm so glad. Uh, Lorraine was in the uh, nursery children's church last night, and when, we got, when I got home, uh, she says, well, well, how was the service? I said, it was great. She said, well, what did he talk about? I said, I can't tell you. <laughs> and I still haven't told her. And she kept at me about it, and I said, uh, I can't remember. And she said, I'm going to tell him that you said that tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and confess that he stepped on my toes so much that I decided to tell my wife I couldn't remember. And also I'm standing before you as a church and confessing that I lied that I can't remember. <laughs> but we're looking forward to what God's got in store for us tonight. And, uh, and, and you're going to be blessed. We're going to be blessed. And so I'm going to ask. Dr. Brian Stowe, he'll come. He told me not to call him Dr. Brian Stowe, to call him Brian. And uh, so, Brian, you come share God's word with us. Well, good evening. It is great to uh, be back here tonight. Hey, what do you think about having your shepherd be a liar? Uh, just, uh, just not a lot it is there, but that's okay. At least he's willing to tell you that he did that. That, that does a lot right there. Hey, I'm going to be in Proverbs chapter 31 this evening. And uh, thank you for coming. Thanks for coming back. That's always an encouragement to a preacher, a guest preacher, that you come back. So uh, I'm sure you came for the food. I don't blame you. I would have too. Uh, so I understand some great, great, uh, great eating you guys have done, which is excellent. Uh, last night, uh, Lorraine, since your husband won't tell you, I'll tell you, it was communication. Communication. So um, I'll pray for you, all right? Uh, but tonight... Tonight, in this, as we continue on in this subject of family matters, um, I want to speak to you on a, uh, well, it's probably going to be a pretty touchy topic, but I'll go ahead and tell you, it's nothing like what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. I promise you, you don't need to miss tomorrow night. I won't tell you what we're going to talk about, so I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to, to get on the phone, I want you to get on the horn, and I want you to invite some folks to come with you tomorrow night. I promise you that what we'll share from God's Word is probably second to salvation. Salvation is always the greatest need. It's the greatest need in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it'll make sense tomorrow evening when, uh, when we're together. So I just put that little teaser out there for you. I promise you, you don't want to miss what God's going to do here tomorrow evening. But in Proverbs chapter 31, if you're familiar with your Bible, if you're familiar with Proverbs 31, you're thinking... The preacher's going to preach a Mother's Day sermon tonight for family matters. No, I'm not. I'm not going to go to the latter part of chapter 31. But I will ask you, have you ever noticed the first verses of chapter 31? They are huge. They're powerful. And what we see in these verses here is what I call the power of a godly influence. The power of a godly influence. And so this evening, as we look at these verses here... What we're going to see is that we're going to see a king who will mention and, in fact, will replay. It's almost like word for word. You can see this king replaying word for word what his mother had deeply instilled within him. So as we look at the example, we look at the words of this king 
that came from his mother, we're going to see the incredible power of a godly influence upon this man. Not only upon him, but we've got it in the book. Therefore, we've been influenced by it as well. So you need to understand something. As we talk about the power of a godly influence, I'm going to think about it mostly in the context of a parent to a child. Now, some of you may say, preacher, my kids are, they've been out of my house for a long time. What's your point? This is a mother to a king. Most of the kings were adults when they became king. There are two examples in the Old Testament where they were children. Can you imagine an eight-year-old running a country? I just can't imagine that. Especially my nine-year-old. I love my son to death, but I don't want him running a country. But nevertheless, imagine it. So here is a mother who obviously and apparently influenced an adult child. So you may say, well, my, my kids are grown. You still have the power of influence over your children, over your grandchildren. I'm telling you, this is a message for all. You may say, I have no children at all. You have friends. You have peers. You have people in this church, in this body, by which you can influence. You may say, well, preacher, I'm just not very outgoing. It doesn't matter. Someone did a, did a study years ago, and this is what they determined. Of the most introverted of people, believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I really am. I promise you. I'm not, I'm not lying like your pastor. I'm, I'm an introvert. But, but here's, what, here's what was determined. It was determined that even the most introverted of people in their lifetime will influence 10,000 people. Isn't that phenomenal? So when we talk about influence, you need to understand something. Not only do we have a great opportunity to be a godly influence upon those around us, moms and dads in particular, I want you to know, you, your children are in a world that is doing everything possible to be an influence upon your children. Have you looked at the commercials lately? Have you, have you looked at the billboards lately? Have you gone to the movie theater lately? Look at all of those types of influences. So all of this... Mom and dad, I need to remind you, with all of that out there, you may say, wow, my children are teenagers. I really can't be much of an influence on them. Don't fall for that lie. You still are, believe it or not. I don't care when your kids roll their eyeballs at you. I pray sometimes that you get stuck up in the back of their head. It doesn't matter. I want you to understand, you are still the greatest influence upon your children. You really are. Don't fall for the lie that you're not. You really, really are. And with that in mind, the question then becomes, what is it, how is it that we need to be an influence? Well, I want to show you out of these first nine verses, four areas where this mother had deeply influenced her son that was now the king. So stand with me and honor the reading of God's word, and we'll note these words together. Verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the, uh, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. Interesting, we've already talked about that this evening. Nor for princes intoxicating drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all of the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who's perishing, wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him, let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Verse 8, open your mouth for the speechless, my son. Remember, this is a conversation. Open your mouth for the speechless 
in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that tonight, that as we look into your word, and boy, there's so many other places, there really are so many other people that we could use as an example of influence. But Lord, out of these words tonight, I plead in Jesus' name that not only will we hear, but I pray that we'll heed your word, that we will put it into practice immediately. So Father, for parents, for grandparents especially, how I pray that on that family unit, we will not only understand the great power of influence, but I pray that this evening we will be honed in like, like a laser to be a godly influence on those that you have privileged us to be able to raise and rear in our home. So speak, Lord, tonight. We need a word from you. I ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So here's the question. What, what can we learn from King Lemuel's mother? I want to show you a couple of things before we really jump into the text here. How is it we need to do this? What are some ways of influencing our children? Here's what she does. She teaches her son. So I want to show you a couple of words there out of verse 1 that really, really are powerful. Notice the first one there. You see the word utterance? That word utterance there literally means it's an oracle or it's a burden. In other words, this was something that was extremely important to this king's mother. And here was the thing. She would not let it rest for any reason whatsoever. And by the way, apparently it had worked. Because here is this king who's uttering from memory what his mother had instilled within him. I've got a question for you. How many of you growing up, you don't have to testify here, please don't get, get radical on me, but I wonder how many of you, you remember a mom, you remember a dad, and I'm telling you, they had a soapbox, and they stood on it quite often, because they would say something to you, they had a saying, they had something, they had some advice, they had some gripes, I don't know whatever it may be, but they had those things that they said to you over and over and over. In fact, it's kind of like what our teenagers may do. As soon as they started, you knew where they were going, and you started rolling your eyes. Y'all have, have that in mind, don't you? You know exactly what that statement is. Well, here's the thing. They're saying them, they're saying them, this mother, and I believe the husband as well, they're saying them over and over. It conveyed two things. One, and even for our parents, one, it was important to them. Two, they wanted those things to be important to us. Just like this mother saying this over and over to her son. So, but it's more than just an utterance. Notice the other word that we see here, that his mother taught him. You see the word taught? This is a powerful word as well. And it doesn't suggest in any way that it's a classroom setting. Don't, don't get that picture in your mind. Rather, what we see here, that word literally means to discipline. It means to correct. It means to chasten. In other words, there really is some intense teaching and learning that's taking place. So what his mother would teach him is not going to be something that's going to be easy to forget. Can you remember growing up? I have flashbacks now of my parents when they taught me that way. I remember those ways. It usually came with the belt. It usually came with some loving, firm care. They called it care. I called it cruelty. But nevertheless, it didn't matter. They cared for me. But I remember those lessons, and you know something? I never, ever forgot those. And so what his mother teaches him is not going to be something easy to forget. This is a wonderful picture of what Paul had in mind when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, to, to the parent, to the father. 
Father, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the, the word here, nurture. Nurture. To care for them. And to instill within them that which is most important. And to walk alongside them, to show them by example what they just nurture. This is what this mother is doing here. I need to remind you of something. What you ponder is not only what you will practice, but is also something that you will pass on. What you ponder, you will practice and you will pass it on. So this is a powerful way of influencing those around us. And so before we look at what she's going to utter and teach, I want you to notice something else very important here. In fact, it's kind of odd. Look at verse 2. It starts off with three questions. You probably haven't said this, parent, to your children. But notice how she puts it here. Three questions to her son. What, my son, what, son of my womb, what, son of my vows? Pretty interesting there. And what, what might this be? I believe we can summarize it like this. What she is about to express to her son is something that she took extremely seriously. She took extremely seriously her responsibility to her son. You see where it says, son of my vows? This isn't something where she's just, there's a kid, we're going to leave him be. That's not it at all. She understood something. It's not so much a statement about her marriage vows as it is a commitment between her husband, between her, her husband, and the Lord. She knew, she knew that her children were a gift from the Lord, and these parents had committed their children back to the Lord. So can you imagine, by the way, it's, it's believed that if this is Solomon who wrote this. Solomon had a nickname, like I had a nickname growing up. And so here it is, if it's Solomon, remember this is Bathsheba, who had instilled this, instilled this within him. And so if this is the case, this mother knew that Solomon literally was a gift from the Lord to them. And so what do they do? They committed them back to the Lord. Parents, if we're going to instill godly character within our children, it begins long before they can ever sit up and listen. It begins with a deep conviction in our hearts that we're going to be a godly example for them. That we're going to teach them and that we are going to instill within them, yes, lovingly, yes, even forcefully at times, that which is right. Like what? What is it we need to instill? What are four valuable traits that she expressed that I'm convinced we need to express as well to our children? Here they are. Number one, courage. We need to express and instill within our children courage. In fact, two areas demand great courage if we're going to be a godly influence, not only in our family, but all of, all of those around us. What are they? Number one, purity. Purity. We've got to understand the great, great value of purity. J. Bernard McGee, one of my favorite guys, I love to read and just I, I quote him often. I ask my church folks to tell you. But J. Bernard McGee, as I said a moment ago, believes that this was Solomon. And so therefore, Bathsheba, if this is the case, when it comes to purity, Bathsheba learned this lesson the hard way. You remember the account, don't you? David, Bathsheba, what took place there? David committed adultery and then committed murder. And so she, here she is. She's going to learn this lesson a hard way. But nevertheless, she admonishes her son to do nothing. Notice what, he, what she says. To do nothing that would give his strength to women. That is, to cause him to compromise and lose so much more than his purity. And early in Solomon's life, Go back and read the Proverbs. This is what he wrote early in his life. We see where this was something extremely important to him. In fact, listen to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 6 and verse 8. He said, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, 
and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You don't know them. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. If only Solomon would have remembered that later on in his life. These are powerful words. She begins by talking about his purity. And by the way, she rightly calls it a strength. She rightly calls it a strength. Do you know that one of the greatest strengths needed today is that of self-control? My, I'm telling you, how greatly needed is that strength. Paul puts it like this to the Thessalonians. He said, God has called you to be holy, so you should keep clear of all sexual sin. Then... Then, he says, each of you will control your body. Each of you will live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions as the pagans do or in the, or in the ignorance of God in his ways. Ladies and gentlemen, the lack of self-control today is a huge problem in our nation. It's a huge problem in our churches. It's a huge problem amongst our students. So how we must express the clear need of self-control. If you look at, a lot of, look at a lot of Bible studies, go to a Christian bookstore sometime and just go to the student section and look at the Bible studies. Why is it that it seems that most of those Bible studies are geared to the young ladies when it's going to talk about purity? Where are the Bible studies for the young men to tell them to be pure? It seems like today there's much more of a concern to make sure that the young lady doesn't get pregnant. We're more concerned about a young lady getting pregnant rather than her being pure. I'm telling you, if we will have our focus on our children remaining sexually pure, we won't have to worry about that. We're missing it. We're missing it. I can't think of a greater gift of a bride to give to the groom and of a groom to give to the bride on their wedding night than their sexual purity. Nothing. Nothing is greater than that. Mama's right. You guard it. It is a strength. I know, what, I, know what's going to, I know what's being said. Well, preacher, boys will be boys. Says who? Says who? That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. The problem then becomes us. We're not willing to stand up. Where's the courage within us? To stand up and to say, not here, not you. That's not what's going to happen. Remember this. You have incredible, incredible influence over your children and teach them to be courageous before their peers, especially in the area of purity. She says something else about where courage is needed. And that is in the area of power. She tells her son not to give himself to ways. Notice what it says here. That destroys kings. You may say, oh, that's interesting. Well, what exactly does that mean? I'll go back to this in just a moment, but if you were to write down somewhere in your notes and read this later, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 through 20. Do you know what's there? The prescription to destroy a king. You want to know what Solomon did? He followed that prescription to the matter. He really did. But the mother here is right. Do not give your ways to that which destroys kings. You see that word way there? You know what that word means? Path. Path. In other words, it's the direction that you set out on early. And the direction in which you set out on early, it really will determine where you're going to wind up. We think we can go off and do anything we want to and we'll still wind up right at the perfect desired destination. Listen to me. 
poor English, but I believe it'll get across, ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen like that whatsoever. And so this mother states in no uncertain terms that she wants her son to stay far away from that path that will lead to destruction in his life. Like what? Like what? Here's the path today. What about the path of popularity? It's out there. What about the path of prestige? And what I mean by this is what I call unchecked power. Don't you challenge me. Unchecked power. We feel like we're above accountability. Or the other path that's so prevalent today as well. Possessions. Possessions. Do you know what Deuteronomy chapter 17 covers? Those three right there. Those three. It warns against every one of those. And in fact, it mandated. It mandated that the king write down the law, the word of God, so that it would be with him wherever it went. And the sad part is that Solomon would go directly against every one of those. In Deuteronomy 17, he would go down the path that would destroy the kingship for him. He would go there. So where am I going? What, what am I talking about here? Here's the issue. The broad path that Jesus would speak of in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember that broad path? My goodness, boys, it's, it's well paved. Looks great, well kept. We're more consumed by the path. But what Jesus really wanted to get across was this, this broad path. Not only where it leads, it leads to destruction, but it is chock full of vices. Chock full of vices that will literally put people in a death grip on their way to destruction. Tell your children. You show your children. You pray that your children never become enamored with the vices of this world that will always do more harm than good. Now, I want you to listen to me. You have a great job bringing that up. Good. But I want to ask you some questions. Before you pray that, and before you talk that, you need to go look in the mirror first. The questions are these. Are you hungry for popularity? Or are you so desirous for your child to be popular, you'll do whatever it takes for your child to be right there. I'm telling you, I, I'm not going to name names, but I've got a specific example, and I'm telling you, if something doesn't change, not only is there going to be a broken-hearted mama, there is going to be a destroyed young lady. I'm telling you, it's killing people. Are you hungry for popularity? Do you think that you're too good to be kept in check? That is, somebody comes to you, pulls you aside, does it correctly according to Scripture, pulls you aside, and speaks the truth and love to you to say, I've noticed this, and I'm concerned. How is it you respond? Do you get mad? Are you offended? Do you tell them, what right do you have doing that? Do we feel like we're too good to be kept in check? What about this, possessions? Are you killing yourself to have more things around you that I promise you, they will break, they will tear up, they will rot, they'll rot, they'll get lost or stolen. Are we doing those things? God help us to raise children with godly courage, but it begins with us living courageously. You want to know the practice of a courageous young man? A practice of a courageous young woman? They'll do. First Thessalonians 5 21. Listen to this. Paul says it. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. A godly influence. You know what it instills? Courage. But notice something else in verses 4 and 5. A godly influence also instills caution. Caution. 
I'm either going to get an amen or I'm going to get you really upset. I don't know where it may be out of this. But nevertheless, here I go. Social destruction is to be avoided even at the expense of what some call socially acceptable. Notice what she says here. It's pretty obvious the king's mama didn't mind offending people. She really didn't care what other people may think about her. When she knew that she was telling the truth, that's all that she was going to hold on to. And she didn't care what other people may think about that would later read these words like you and I. She was most concerned about the welfare of her son. And so this is what she says to him. She says, it is not for kings to drink wine. It is not for kings to drink intoxicating drink. What is that? Let me just put it to you real simply. Go to a local grocery store, most of them. Go to a liquor store. I'm not going to go there. But go and look on the shelves and see what they're selling. Go to that city that young man was talking about a while ago in, in Nebraska. Those four liquor stores. Go look on those shelves. That's what she was talking about. That's what she was talking about. And let me just go ahead and say this. It is this, the alcohol today, that has caused more heartache, more destruction than any world war our nation has ever faced. It really has. It is that destructive. Here's what people are saying. Preacher, man, it's the 21st century. You got to let up. Things are different today. You've got to be careful talking about it. You're going to run some people off. The truth offends those who would rather embrace a lie than the truth. I, I, I'm not trying to be hateful. And I'm, I'm not trying to stand on a soapbox, though this is a very passionate one for me. But here's what I want to do. I want to share with you the truth. But people will say, preacher, I'll tell you something. I mean, you, you, you legalistic, fundamental preachers, I know what y'all do. Y'all be hung up on all this stuff, and y'all preach all this, and boy, does it preach good. But I, you, you're just, you're so hung up on that. I'll tell you, when I got saved, I got free, man. And I, I know what grace does for me. I'm free. I can do anything I want to because grace has done all of that for me. I got a question. Why is it that many people today, whenever they talk about salvation, they talk about how they're free. They can do anything they want to, but the last thing they want to talk about when it comes to the Christian life is that there's also responsibility. You see, here's the issue. The, the issue is this. Paul would say it well. Paul would say, I can do anything I want to. But he said, it's not about me. My life, because I know whose I am, because of what God has called me to do, I realize something. I have a huge responsibility. I would do nothing. Paul said, I would do nothing to ever be a stumbling block to anybody. Have you ever considered that our actions, your actions, may be a stumbling block to those around you? Have you ever considered that? Freedom. Freedom. You may be free to do some things that you want to, but let me tell you an area where you're not free. You're not free when it comes to the fallout of your decision, good or bad. You're not free there. You're not free when it comes to how others are going to receive your actions. Like I said, this is a huge deal to Paul. He would do nothing that would be a stumbling block to others. Where is that desire today? Where is that passion? Where is that conviction? Parents, what about us? How many times have we jokingly said, do what I say do, not what I do. Ha, 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 ha. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. In fact, it's destructive and it's costing us. Here's my point to you. Consequences 
are huge. Consequences are huge. Notice verse 5. Lest they drink and forget the law. What happens when the social lifestyle becomes more important? They drink and forget the law. They pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Let me put it to you real simple. What happens? What happens when we go this route? Values are forgotten. Values are twisted. Values are forgotten. Values are twisted. When people compromise in this area, they not only compromise what is in them, but they also compromise all of those around them. This is how Solomon would put it in another place. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So mom, dad, a teacher, coach, adult, city leader, wherever, whoever you may be, church leader, human being, this mother is right. She's absolutely right. In these words here to her son, I plead with you to make these words your very own as well. May this conviction ring forth in your heart as well as through your lips. Don't say that teenagers, don't say that teenagers, they're going to have to grow up and make their own decisions. By by preacher, I would never want to impose my beliefs on my children. Why? Look at society. They are. We're the ones that are given the privilege. God gave our children to us. Deeply instill with them the godly influence that you were raised with. And tell them, this is right. That's our responsibility. And according to God's word, teetotalism is right. Remember, she constantly put this before her son. My children may think I'm pushy. Good. They may actually understand and grow up one day and remember, my mom and daddy love me so much, they were willing to be pushy. I'm grateful for that. Again, you don't think the world's pushing? They're pushing over like crazy. A godly influence. Y'all all right tonight? Some are. Okay. <coughs> Number three. What else will a godly influence instill? Courage, caution, but also comfort. Notice what she says here. She goes off in verses six and seven. She says, let's talk about strong drink. And here's the point that she makes. There are some that need comfort. Who are those? Those that are perishing. Those that are perishing. Is the goal here to knock somebody out of their misery? No, it's not what the goal is. The goal is to keep them comfortable because they are in agonizing pain, probably because of some terminal sickness. If, if, you're, if you live long enough, you probably had a family member, perhaps a mom or a dad, a brother, I don't know who it may be, but you've witnessed someone who has died a very painful death. Cancer just eating away at the body, whatever it may be. What is it that we have? We don't have to give them a strong drink today. We've got the medication that hopefully will just knock off the, the pain, but yet keep them still alert and, and able to, to endure the pain while in those last days. This is what this mother has in mind here. Something needs to be given to these people to keep them comforted as well as comfortable. And so she influences the king in regard to comfort. Here, here's the point I want to try to make to you out of this. Comfort is what everyone desires, but there really aren't many that are willing to give it. We are a selfish society. We really, really are. How sad it is that when, especially when it comes to those that are at the point of dying, 
how sad it is to see some families more focused on what they may get from an estate than literally caring for their loved one, the one that gave them so much all through their life. Comfort is what everybody needs and desires, but few are willing to give. So what might you do to express comfort to those around you that need it? You need to listen to me. You know what's going to cost? Our selfishness. It's going to cost us our time. It'll cost us our resources. But, but, it will be a profound influence on those in that vulnerable and sometimes helpless position. I think that's what she's saying there, verses 6 and 7. But there's another benefit I want to give you. One more. that she talks about that comes with a godly influence. It will also instill, verses 8 and 9, conviction. Conviction. And this conviction is evidenced in two ways. First of all, it's evidenced by what we speak up for. By what we speak up for. Again, this loving and passionate and very influential mother admonishes her son to speak up for those that have no voice. For those that may be at death's door. I can't help but think about both ends of life's spectrum. Both ends. From the very beginning, conception of life to the very, very end. I imagine that both of those... That she is, she's encouraging her son to not only speak up for, but to take up for as well. And so here it is, a, a, a baby today, a baby today. What is it that, that our society calls it? It's certainly not a baby, unless they're trying to convict somebody and put them in jail. They'll use it for that one instance only, but then go back and call it a fetus because it's, it's not near as personable. But a baby in a, in a, in a womb is now seen as a mother's choice. An aged man or woman that has worked all of their life made a great influence and impact on our society. When they get on up in years, now they're seen as a liability in those final years. This mother says to her son, she says to him, speak up for both of them. You see, this admonition is built upon the conviction that needs to be remembered today that all of life is sacred. All of life is sacred. Conviction is evidence. Not only by what we speak up for, but also by what we stand up for. That's what she says to him. That's what she says to him. Listen to me. Our land today is in desperate need of people that will stand up for that which is right and will judge righteously. Why? Because there is so much perversion of justice taking place. Y'all watch the news lately? Where do you want me to start? It's rampant today. Who would have thought, who would have thought, especially of late, that more protection would be given to a Muslim extremist in our country that despises our country than for those that are committed to Christ and serve our country? I've got an example I'll give to you in just a moment. But let me make one more point, then I'll give you that example. When it comes to conviction, you need to remember something. Conviction costs. Conviction costs. But conviction is what will also bring about a great change. So the question becomes this for us. Are we willing to count the cost? And are we willing to pay the cost in order for great change to come about? Here's my example. You want a picture of what conviction looks like? It's like this. This year on the National Day of Prayer, this year on the National Day of Prayer, at one prayer gathering, Rear Admiral William Lee, Said in, the face, uh, said in the face of all of the attempts of the Defense Department to, to squelch religious liberty. He said this, and I quote, They expect us to check our religion in at the door. They're saying to us, 
Don't you bring that in here. Leaders like myself are feeling the constraints of rules and regulations and guidance issued by lawyers that put us in a tighter and tighter box regarding our constitutional right to express our religious faith. He continued, I am coming out today to tell you I'm not going to run from my religious beliefs, from my right under the Constitution to tell a young man there is hope. You know what that is? That's conviction. Preacher, he might lose everything he's worked for. Sometimes you've got to lay it all out on the line when it comes to conviction. The question for us is this. What are we willing to lay out on the line? You see, now's not the time. Now's not the time for the God-fearing, Christ-exalting, yes, even the gun-toting believer to be silent and sit down. Now's not the time for that. We've got to speak up. We've got to stand up for that which is right. And that, by the way, which has blessed our country for over 200 years. We need, once again, a godly influence all over our country. I'm not elected, preacher. I can't do anything. Says who? Says who? You want to know where the greatest influence is going to come from? You're sitting in it. You're sitting in it. When we as believers will stand up, not hateful, but not being a pushover to say, sir, ma'am, excuse me, what you said is not true. I know that you think it's true, and we all know that the media thinks it's true, but it's not true. This is the truth. And to stand upon that, whatever the cost, the benefits of a godly influence, one of those is a godly conviction. Godly conviction. Influence. Influence. In, in my, my thinking and pondering, I, I, uh, I like to try to do some things to help us remember what, what influence may be. And so I came up with an acrostic of influence. I want to give this to you quickly, and, and I'm, I'm going to be done. Here's an acrostic of influence. What is it? I, for influence, inspire those around you. Inspire those around you. In, no quitting. No quitting. Don't be a quitter. F, focus. Focus on that which is best. Let's do the whole thing in the long run, not the immediate. We're so immediate. We're so instant. We're so, it's got to be done right now. We can't wait for anything. If we want to go out and buy something, somebody will be willing to loan us the money at a ridiculous amount of interest. Why? Because we want it now. We've got to focus on that which is best in the long run. L, lead. Lead. We've got to lead. You. Us. Us. Not I. E. Express the truth. We've got to express the truth. If we don't know the truth, we can't express it. But when we know the truth of God's word, then we can express it. N. No excuses. No excuses. Why are we making excuses? They may sue me, preacher. What's your point? What's worth standing up for? No excuses. See, this is for our parents. Check up on your children. I want you to listen to me. What do I mean by that? You check up on who their friends are. You, you check up on their social media interactions. You, you, you check up on where they go. Well, they may think I'm, I'm trying to invade their silence and their privacy. You might have right you are. Go ahead and remove all doubt. Well, they may not really like that. You know what? 
doesn't matter. Last time I checked, parent, you're the parent. Well, what about their rights, Pastor? What about them? They, this is me, another soapbox. They get rights when they leave your home. But while they're in your house, you have that wonderful privilege to instill within them this godly conviction, this godly influence. Are y'all all right? I'm telling you, this is desperately needed. Are you, are you watching what they're putting on social media? We have, I'm on Twitter. I'm a, I'm a Twitter dude. I'm not Facebook. I, I'm thinking, I don't want to put my face on the book. But nevertheless, I don't want to do that. But I am amazed. I, I'll follow. If somebody in our church is on there, I'm going to follow them. Just because they're in my church. I'm just, you know, it's a respectable thing. But I'm amazed by what some of those folks will put on Twitter. I'm scratching my head thinking, there's a sermon illustration right there. But you know what else I'm doing? I'm thinking, is their mom and, are their mom and dad, are they really looking at what they're saying? I've gone to two of our parents to say, I think you need to know what your child said. And both of them were floored by what their child said. They were shocked. But you know what else they did? They said to me, thank you. Thank you. Moms and dads, let me just give you a word of help here. You, you friend your child on Facebook. You follow your child on Facebook. Notice what they're saying. Ask who their friends are. You have the right to know where they go. And if they don't go there, guess what? You're the parent pulled the rug. That's what a godly parent will do. They may lose their friend. You may have just caught, cut them from a big-time loser. I feel better. I don't know <laughs> that needs to be said. Amen. Students may not like it now, but I promise you there'll come a day they'll appreciate that. Moms and dads, this courage and conviction, it's got to start with us in our home. In our home. Well, they may not want to go on Facebook, but I want me. One less thing they stick their face in. Doesn't matter. What matters is their character, their godliness, their convictions. It's your responsibility as a parent when they're in your home. Let me ask you about your influence on others. Oh, the letter E. Sorry. You're, 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 you wouldn't sleep tonight if I didn't take care of this. E. Every day with the Lord. That'll help you to be a wonderful godly influence. Your influence. Is it really that which honors the Lord? You know, listen to you. This is one of those things where you just got to be honest before the Lord. And if, you, if you're honest before Him, you may have to admit that His ways really haven't been on your radar. Today, today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need a Savior. You desperately need a Savior. That's where your influence will begin. And His influence upon us is huge. It's huge. I invite you to make that most important decision if you don't know Christ as Savior. Isaiah would put it like this. He said, seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him while He's near. Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. That's repentance. And let them banish from their minds. Isn't that an incredible picture? Banish. Get it out of there. Don't flirt with it. Don't just kind of set it off to the side. Banish Banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for He will abundantly pardon. What words of hope? What words of hope? Where is it that you stand? Would you pray with me?
tonight, I'll grant you an intense message. I understand that. But when it comes to family matters, and even when it comes to the matters in our church family, this is where we need to be. This is where we need to be. Believer, let me begin with you. What kind of influence are you? Would you honestly answer that question? Are you influencing others to have godly courage? Are you influencing others to have a godly caution? Godly care and comfort for others as well as a godly conviction? Are you? It is our privilege, it is our responsibility to be that to those around us. Are we doing that? If not, believer, there's an area of your life where God is just pinpointing to say, there. I'm inviting you tonight to get specific on that and to say, Lord, that's got to change. And I know that you can help me change that. I want to be a godly influence. You may have some family members in your own home, some extended family, that tonight as we just sat here and thought you're not being judgmental, but I'm telling you, your heart just breaks because what you see is the absence of godly influence. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. My invitation to you tonight would be to lift up specifically by name that precious soul or souls that you know need to return to the Lord. You lift them up and then ask the Lord, you tell the Lord, Lord, here am I. Whatever I can do to be a godly influence, count me in. Count me in. I invite you tonight, please make use of this altar, believer. Please make use of it. And say, God, hear this. Hear this. Tonight, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need a Savior. Sir, ma'am, you need a Savior. His influence upon us, it changes everything. In fact, the Bible says that when Christ comes in, He moves us from spiritual death to spiritual life. You can't get more dramatic than that. He gives us a new heart, a new mind, a new way, a new desire. And tonight, your honest assessment of your life would have to be this. I have been influenced so much more by the world. I've got some religion. But preacher, you talking like that? Honestly, this never happened to me. Tonight, that needs to be your decision for you to trust Christ. Is that your desire, your need? Then why not you tell the Lord that's your commitment? Lord, I admit to you. Just utter that from your heart to him. I admit to you. I am a sinner. I have been influenced by the world. And tonight, I ask you, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my heart and save my soul? I trust you alone to be my Savior. With no one looking around, I want to ask a simple question, even as I did last night. Is there anyone in this room that would say tonight, tonight, Pastor, my decision was to trust Christ, and I made that decision. I'd love to know that. Would you mind just holding your hand up for a moment so I can celebrate with you? I'm not coming after you. I promise you I'm not. But I just want to celebrate with you. The Bible says angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes to the Lord. I just want to rejoice with them. Anybody? Hold it up. Let me see it. You can put it right back down. As we have an invitation in just a moment, your pastor's going to be right here at the front. I'm going to invite you to step out and come to him. If you need prayer, you come to him. I'll be up here at the front. I'd love to pray with you as well. God's speaking to your heart. Don't blow it off. Tonight, you allow his influence to change who you are and what you do tonight. Father, please have your way in this invitation. I plead in Jesus' name.
Amen.